You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to take another look back at a convention panel with 40 years of the Tin Dog. So, this one might be a little out of date because we say 40 years of the Tin Dog, but there's really not much difference in 45 years of the tin dog than there is in 40 years of the tin dog frankly because what we talk about are generalities really about why canine endures why people love canine why people hate canine a little bit <laughs> so it was a fun convention panel I'm trying to get you know because i've recorded so many convention panels and very few of them have been released, so I'm trying to get some of those out while still keeping up with the panels that we're recording for the show, and I thought now would be a good time to release this one. So it was from Chicago TARDIS 2016, so five years later, we're now talking about 45 years of K-9, even though it isn't quite at the 45-year mark right now, but we're getting close, we're closing in on that. So yeah, hopefully that you'll enjoy it. We enjoyed making it. We have some interesting celebrity guests on this one. We have Rob Shearman. We have Gary Russell. We also had some other people that were at the con, so hope you enjoy it. Since I'm not going to post an outro because, like most of these con panel ones, I just go straight into the outro music as the panel ends. We'll mention the ESO Patreon. That's a way that you can support all the shows on the ESO Network. Check that out at patreon.com slash ESO Network. You contribute any funds that you have. It gives you access to exclusive content, gives you access to some early content, and it helps all the shows on the network. So if you are able to contribute, please just check that out and see if it's something that you'd be interested in. Also send us feedback at everything at 42cast.com or visit our website at 42cast.com or our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. Tweet to us at 42cast. Or go to our Instagram, which is also at 42cast. Or you can leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. So I think that's all the things that I need to talk about ahead of time. We're going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast, and then we're going to go straight into the panel. Dragon Con 2021 is scheduled for Labor Day weekend, and whether it's an in-person event or once again goes virtual, the Dragon Con Report podcast crew will cover the con right up to the big event. So sit back with your bucket of brown, dragon's mead, apple pie, or whatever your beverage of choice, and tune in to the latest news, notes, interviews, discussions, and even a dragon tale or two on the Dragon Con Report, a proud member of the ESO Network. Check us out at dragonconreport.com.
Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to 40 Years of the Thin Dog, um, where we're going to talk about canine. My name is Nathan Laws. I run a blog called Blogger Who. That's not to be confused with Blog Tour Who, which is something completely different. I also have, for the last two and a half years, been co-producing a podcast called Sean Castic, but I'm actually going to do my own podcast now that debuts in January called The 42 Cast, which is the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. So if you're interested, please take a business card. Uh, I've got the website and the email address on there. And I have this August assemblage with me here, so uh, let's start at the right and just work on down. Sure. Okay, well, I'm Adrian Provenzano, and this is the fourth time I've been at Chicago TARDIS. Last year I did a presentation about the female companions that were traveling around with John Pertwee, Dr. Number 3. So I was pleased to come back here today and be part of the canine panel. I'm a big fan of canine even in tiny size and um, have been following the series for too many decades to mention. <laughs> my name is Gary Russell and my connection with canine is twofold. Um, I did an audio series for Big Finish called Gallifrey in which I blew the dog up and then I was a script editor on Sarah Jane Adventures uh, where K-9 lived in a box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Erica Ensign. I am on a couple of Doctor Who podcasts. One is called Verity and the other one is called Lazy Doctor Who and uh, I also actually wrote an essay about K-9 for the book Companion Piece. Uh, my name's Rob Sherman. I'm a Doctor Who writer sometimes. I, I wrote nothing at all featuring K9, but I was scared enough as a child to still be quite scared of K9. And my first ever Doctor Who complete story I ever watched was in fact K9 and Company. <laughs> unfortunately true. So yes, I have a sort of, you know, I sort of owe, owe the dog a lot in a way. Yes. You were scared of Kina? Yeah, well, I was, I was scared of Doctor Who generally, but, but part of the problem was was that I'd see photographs of Tom Baker, you know, with the long scarf, and he always, it's that photograph they show a lot with him, you know, standing with his fawn coat on the hat and Kina on the by his side. And because that symbolised for me terror, um, whenever actually I saw that canine pop up on things like Blue Beta, the, the association with the show meant that I ran from the room. <laughs> so even though Kenon was going to be quite reassuring, I just saw it as a source of absolute terror and kind of horror. I think it's very important to point out that Rob was 25 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I, I was a late developer. Um, I mean, I mean I was, I'm actually older than John Leeson, who plays back uh, And that was always a sense of great shame for me. So, yeah, it's true, though. Yeah. So why do we think that K-9 has lasted so long? Well, for one reason, there have been more than one K-9. <laughs> so he hasn't had a chance to rust out too much, because every time he ends up leaving, he comes back again and again. I think, um, for a serious answer, um, sorry, I, someone's got to do the serious answer, uh, which is that, 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 that fiction generally, particularly if it involves kids, the, the, the basic idea of a boy and his dog, and the doctor's quite childish, so it's the doctor and his dog, is always a good trope that people love. Um, so once you have a pet in something, people love it, it works, it tells good stories. Obviously in Doctor Who, you make it a robot pet. You either have Moggy or Canine, so that's where you go. And that's why I think it, it just lasts. It's that kind of image that kids have, that they love a cute robot. There's nothing cuter than that, really. That is the cutest robot dog in the world ever. Um, 
and therefore people will always love it. So every generation <coughs> discovers K9 and goes, oh, well, that's just fantastic. Yeah, I completely agree, because uh, I, I was just the right age. I was 24 <laughs> uh, when I discovered K9, and, and yeah, he, he just he hit me in the heart. So I, I often hear people complaining about K9 and, and thinking K9 is stupid, and that just it doesn't, that doesn't resonate with me, because K9 was always an important, important thing for me. So as I grew up, K9 never became less important. That's, that's one of the things that I didn't cast off as I, as I got older and theoretically cooler. Uh, <laughs> I, still, I still always had my love for that adorable, adorable robot dog, and I think some people who came to the show actually literally as older people sometimes didn't, uh, didn't enjoy K9 as much. And that yeah, made me sad. True. Yeah, it, it's odd. I mean, because I, mean, I got into Doctor Who when I was about, not 25, really I was about actually 12, which is still quite old to, to do Doctor Who for the first time. And at that time in fandom, there was a great sense that K9 was a huge embarrassment. And so I sort of tapped into that because, you know, I think at that age, being a fan as well, you want to take it terribly seriously and you hate the stuff you've seen silly. And so, but as I got older, it was an odd thing. I, I, I began to realise that canines one of the sort of one of the oddest things in Doctor Who. It's, it's, it's as wonderfully odd and imaginative as having that blue police box. And I, I think it's it, also it's that sort of element that Doctor Who could do back then as well. That it could do things that you could tell were just really stupidly bonkers ideas, <laughs> and not worry too much about whether that would work or not. So you have that story, you know, that the very first story he appears in at the end. The production team said, actually, you know what, let's just see whether that will work over the course of the season. And it was, it was really noisy, they hadn't worked out how to do the motors properly, but they still said, rather than throw away a good, quirky idea, let's allow this to, to, to build and actually find a character for it. And I think that that's, that's the great joy of K9, is it's, it's actually, it shouldn't work at all. And it's therefore entirely right that Doctor Who, which is full of ideas that should never work, but <laughs> at the heart of it, I, I think it's beautiful, K9. I have to say that I came to K9, I was the right age because uh, I was seeing it on PBS in America, so I was probably six or seven when I first saw K9, but I, I look at it kind of a different way, I mean, I, Gary was talking about pets. I see it as the other things that I was watching in the 80s, things like Buck Rogers or things like Knight Rider, where they all have a sort of robotic or computerized person that the lead character is interacting with. And it's kind of fun when they have a sidekick who's smarter than they are. I mean, this is a trope that you see in other kinds of shows, too, where the sidekick's actually smarter than the main character. And K-9's one of the few characters that can ever really challenge the Doctor on anything. And so it's kind of fun to see that kind of interaction where sometimes the Doctor is kind of foiled by K-9, who is actually smarter and knows things better than he does in some ways. And so that to, that creates like sort of fun interaction, I think. Yeah, yeah actually, that, that the interaction, especially at the beginning with the Doctor and K-9 and Lilo, was a very interesting combination because you have K-9 who is more, you know, book smart. He, he knows the facts. And you have Lilo who is a little more empathetic, sort of, like, you know, in the emotional IQ, the EQ, you know, is a little bit higher there. And then you have the doctor who has bits and pieces of both. So it, it made a, a really interesting triangle to watch as far as characters interacting. So I think that, that got K9 off, for me at least, on a really strong footing, even though he didn't have feet, um, to, <laughs> to be able to then, you know, last longer. And it's also, I think, interesting that, that Leela is actually the one who's keener on K9 than the Doctor is. Mm -hmm. And it's not, she, she's not, it's not in a sort of patronising way that she's too stupid to realise he's a computer. But she is actually the first one to, to I can never say this word, anthropomorphise him. She's the first one to call him him. She's the first one to have jokes with him. She's the first one, and, and the Doctor is always kind of 
aloof to this and, and resisting it and patronising her for it and at the same time does it himself as well. Yeah. But it, the, 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 the fun friendship is Leela and K-9 and you, you watch that grow they, during that, yeah, that yeah, season. Yeah, I mean, that's the real joyous moment as well, isn't it, of season 15, which is, doesn't have many. But at the very end of Invasion Wait, of Time, <laughs> it's not a good season. <laughs> but at the end of Invasion of Time, where you've had all of that process, you know, and Leela's gone and it seems so horribly abrupt as well. Get back in the TARDIS, and he just pick, and he picks out this box of K9 Mark II. <laughs> Again, the thing which, as a serious-minded fan, you you kind of hate at that moment. You think, well, why has he got a box with <laughs> Professor Maris's second K9 invention in there? But actually, at that, it's actually it's a sudden humanisation of the Doctor after a story as well in which he's been not being a very you know he's been a very very aloof, difficult, cruel Doctor to suddenly say, actually, it's okay. I'm carrying on, and this time. I'm going to like the dog. And of course he does. Next time we see him, they're planning on going on holiday together. And it's a beautiful, a beautiful moment, actually. I, I, I love that bit of invasion of time. Which is, Gary's looking as if I've just thrown up. Because <laughs> <laughs> actually, what you, I, I, that's never crossed my mind before. Yeah. Because I've always hated the end of, I mean, yeah. I, I don't mind K9 and Cameron, but I hated that fact that, that he let K9 go. And it's a kind of, haha, <laughs> I got rid of that one because here comes the super improved one that I've been working on behind the scenes and nobody's noticed for the last six months. And I remember watching that as a, as a sort of kid and um, thinking... <laughs> 25. Yeah, I was 25. And thinking, that's, that's, that's really mean to K9. Yeah. Because, you know, you, your dog just went off with your best friend and you should be sad about that, but actually you're celebrating because you've got a better one. Yeah. You know, yeah, Mark II, auto, even though we couldn't see it, Mark II automatically assumes this is going to be a better canine. Yeah, and it is. And it is. Yeah, um, in every way. You know, I always thought about it that way, but I'm now going to... Uh, this is my I like way. Rob's version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a much better version. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. I'd like to think that's what they were planning when they wrote the script, but I think my version was probably closer to, to the truth. I think when that script was written, they were planning basically nothing at all. <laughs> they were planning <laughs> their escape to the bar. You know, it's... It's odd. I mean, I mean, I don't actually much like the K9 of the first few of that first season. I find him quite cold and difficult, and he's not particularly. You know, he's used as a gun quite a lot in season no. 15. And actually, for me, I, I begin to love K9 in Rebus Operation because I really love that K9. Actually, who is who is that very very sort of beautifully dignified, quite smug little dog, which actually, but actually still wants all. All the affection and and all that sort of friendship that the Doctor and Romana can give him, and I I find that really endearing. I, I I find the K9 who can be stuck at the end of Androids of Tara in that rowing boat, <laughs> so much more enjoyable than the K9 who can go around and just be used to blow up the I don't know transduction barriers and invasion of time. Just well, you know, that actually that, that fits in very well with your with your humanizing the Doctor head canon. Thank you very much. It's not head canon. This is Don't call my theories head canon. It's a whole body canon. Uh, your textual canon yeah. uh, about humanizing the Doctor, because if he was tinkering with this dog in the background, it is possible that you know he was he was developing. Trying to develop feelings for this canine, and he was a little bit too cold, and he really did want a, a man's best friend, sort of a yeah, companion. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, actually, even, even my head canon doesn't really believe that the 
that Tom Becker's doctor was genuine in the background between the Sun Makers and Underworld, no. making another case. I, I think it's just. Do you think it was just in the box from the. From I, the I think it's nonsense. I, I don't know where that canine box came from. I think it's, it's the TARDIS being magical. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I would love to imagine, actually, that the doctor is genuine while he was asleep, so he's asleep now. Let's do another little <laughs> bit on K9, making him a little bit sweeter making that the engines don't make so much noise. <laughs> so that when, I, so when I get rid of her, by making Andrew fall in love with her <laughs> of, of sort of hypnosis, I can, you know, just go on to have proper adventures with my own dog. But surely, therefore, oh, your right. headcanon now must be... <laughs> headcanon! I've read this phrase, headcanon, I've never heard it until now, but it's a good phrase. Must surely realise that now that we know that, that things like sonic screwdrivers are built by the TARDIS yeah. for the Doctor every time yeah. he wants one, presumably the TARDIS nothing to do with the Doctor at all, but the TARDIS went, if ever he loses K9, I'm going to have built him another one, and yeah. he'll be really pleased, and he'll pat my console a bit and more. So K9 goes off with Leela, and it's actually the TARDIS. The Doctor goes to the TARDIS, and he's looking very sad, and suddenly the TARDIS sort of mentally goes, oi, I've made you a present. K9 Mark II. I think that... Oh, I like that. And also, sorry, I must just... Because I'm excited now. And built into that is the Warrior's Gate. When they get rid of K9, Donna says, he's got Adric. That's just an eye K9. The walk is the same. Yeah, almost the same. Almost the same walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes the same noise as it, as it brings along as well. Oh. I, I, I will say that this idea that the Doctor's been tinkering in the background, I'm almost positive in the Invasion of Time novelization that Terence Dix wrote. Well, where when at, at the end, it's <laughs> yeah. At the end, he basically says he had been working on it for months and and whatnot. And I, uh, so, so tell, tell us tell us how insane that would be, Rob. Go on. When I was writing Invasion of Time novelization, <laughs> um, it was a very very weird thing to do because I I read the script of Invasion of Time and I thought it was. One of the worst scripts I've ever read in my life. And I spent all my time writing that novelization, you see, trying very, very hard to make any of it make any sense. It was a nonsense story. I would never have commissioned it. Shameful it's such that. a brilliant Terence impersonation. He was doing it all last I night. It's fantastic. So much. I, I, I genuinely love Terence. That was very good. It was exactly very close. But, but, I mean, Terence actually, I think, honestly, does do that. I think that he, you know, not to diverge it, but he will look at the script quite often. And, and actually, the, the, the you know, the joyous thing about Terence is you can say to him in a bar, you know, so what do you think of? Ark Infinity, Terence, because you novelise it. He said, oh, it's absolute rubbish. <laughs> and then the story that's a sequel to something he originally commissioned is appalling. But that he spent all that time having to novelise it, trying to fix all the logic problems that he couldn't rationalise himself. So I'm sure that when he watched Emotion of Time, he's rather like Gary, sat there and just thought, why is there a box of canine in there? It makes no sense at all. All right, he's going to have to spend all the time, now, in between every single chapter, going off and having to work on this box and make a connection, <laughs> even though I do not know why that would happen. And, and, that's, and that's what Terence does. He's making Terence is genius like that. Whereas I think actually saying the TARDIS did it actually is, is kind of funny. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to stop doing that. Now, how much do we... Oh, how much of Canine's success do we think came from the performance of John Leeson? 110%. Yes. Yeah. 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 And the fact that that's worn out by the fact that when poor old David Bryony takes over, canines are 
You know, he loses all his personality. The, the interaction between the Doctor and K9 for that one season just isn't there. There's no humour. There's no. Well, one thing John Leeson does so brilliantly when he's doing K9, if you go back and look at it, is John leaves little pauses. The Doctor will ask him something, usually sarcastic, and John leaves just enough of a pause that you know K9's actually thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll give you the answer. But he humanises yeah. it with, with little pauses and little bleepy noises that he does. And, and really, bless him, never does any of that. He just goes in and goes, oh, I'm just voicing the yeah. robot. Well, the yeah. other day, John Leeson said that he saw canine as that role in even, you know, classic theatre and comedian del arte. So giving it a lot of substance to the character that this is the servant who's smarter than the master, but never can show that. Not the master master, but you know what I mean. <laughs> a canine is, is the smart servant that's always going to save the butt of the master and be truly loyal, but always have that intelligence and a laser in his snout. So, yeah. you know, it's like he, he can do all that. And, yeah. and that comes through in John's characterization. So I think even though it started off as a one-time part, he put that into it from the very beginning, well, and yeah, then there was that continuity. The, the thing which comes across so loud and clear from John is that comic timing. Mm -hmm. He recognizes entirely that this is actually a wonderfully, be beautifully, potentially great comic character even when the scripts themselves don't always actually make much of that. Particularly in the early times, you know, you get, I mean, Robert Holmes exploits it and David Fisher exploits it, but often other characters, writers just don't just see him as a, as a really functional tool. But John goes along, and because John also, and I'm not trying to knock David Riley, who I think, you know, just did it as a job, but David did it as a voiceover part. He wasn't there actually in the rehearsal rooms in the same way that John was. I mean, John will tell stories about how you know, he'd get bad knees because he'd be playing the part in the rehearsal rooms on his hands and knees, so he was actually a presence as a character. Whereas David, probably more sensibly, um, would be doing it just as a voiceover job. But that's why there's that sort of comic interaction, because comic timing is about playing off the performances. And it's because John is physically actually making, in the rehearsal room, making that work. It's why K-9 is so brilliant, actually. I mean, it is John Leeson. Yeah. Gary mentioned something that I hadn't thought of consciously before, but I always said the John Leeson version of K-9's voice is more smug. Well, that's why. It's that pause. That's what's missing from the David Brierley version, because you don't get any of that sense at all. He's just very much a straight character. He just responds to things the doctor says, and he, he, it, it doesn't work as well. But then, yeah, you've got, you've got John Leeson in there, and it's just, it's, it's just more compelling just because yeah. there's a little more sarcasm in there. And also, there is, yeah. there is a difference. John does a difference. He, he's K-9 Mark One and he's K-9 Mark Two are totally different voices. Yes, they are. And, and you don't really realise that until you get John in a room to record an episode of Gallifrey with two canines in it and go, oh God, how is this going to work? The canines are talking to each other. And then John just does it and you go, oh, he actually does two different voices for them. And canine mark one is very Spock-like and, and, and canine mark two is the one with the beats and the pauses and the, and, and the one-liners. Yeah. And he does it brilliantly. He can have conversations as K9, and you're just sitting there going, "It's two dogs talking to each other." <laughs> That's kind of cool. I mean, I suppose to be fair to David, he only did three stories. But it's right. easy to forget that, you know, because season 17 is, you know, it's obviously there's no shard, but also he's not in the first two stories at all, so he doesn't get much of a chance to develop it. But you're right. I mean, what's great about John is you really do feel that he is allowing a character to to, to properly develop, even though. 
all of the danger of the writing is that since companions, particularly at that stage of the series, could often just be done as functional characters and nothing else going on in character terms, that was doubly true of K-9. He could just be there to have the ticker tape nose info dump and nothing else. But John always found the way of, of making that into a... And, and I always love the fact that even when, you know, I mean, I, mean, I love Power of Crawl in part because K-9 is kind of still in it because he's dug in. Yes, me I mean, too. Because actually, and, and not because, you know, this is not insulting John Leeson, who was, of course, here in the building. <laughs> um, it's not that when I see Power of Crawl, which I do, you know, at least once a week, <laughs> it is the best Octopus story ever made. Um, okay. It's the fact, that, though, that you can recognise in John's performance still that that is that it's the same actor. And it does kind of, I don't know, for me it always makes me, makes me feel quite happy. It's actually like I'm seeing K9 walking up and down and then being shot. It's just me, but, that, but that's my headcanon. <laughs> actually, that is K9. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to accept that particular headcanon, but I, but I like it. Actually, speaking of the way the canine is, is treated or left out, I think that was another thing that made endeared a canine even more to me was the fact that sometimes he was treated really shoddily by the writers, you know, having his head bonked off by a marshman, getting the story, like that sort of thing. Like, I... It, yeah. He was he was beaten down a lot, and I I've always rooted for the sorry for the pun I didn't mean it underdog. Um, so actually, I mean, and I have a big problem with K 9s final. I mean, one I mean John comes back for the, mm-hmm. the final season, which is great because you know he does bring back so much um, of that humour again. But at that it's a time when the show is also kind of fan leaning and realizing the fans that really like K nine very much, mm-hmm. and he's only back so that he seems to be kicked by Bill Fraser or having his head knocked off by Marshman or, Running into water. or blowing up. You know. It's like every story takes great pains to say, he's rubbish, he'll be going soon, don't worry. And I find that rather a shame because he's given such dignity you know, in, in all the stories beforehand when he appears. He's, you know, he, he's, he's smashing him. You know, I mean, in, and there's genuine jeopardy in things like Armageddon Factor when he's being wheeled off to the furnace. I think in Sage of Decay that would be treated as, as an enormous joke and then, and then they would burn him. <laughs> and then it still somehow emerged, and it would be oh, we still got him for one more story. Yeah, I, I, I always find that rather. I mean, I, I really love season eighteen actually overall, but I do find that rather churlish. I think it's quite interesting in season eighteen as well, in that in State of Decay, because it's written by Terence, he treats K nine sensibly. Yes, he does. He, he makes him the hero. He makes him the savior of the day. He makes that guy apologize to him at the end That's right. for basically That's right. being the personification of Christopher Bidmead, who's going, this dog is really stupid. And then the dog says, apologize to my dog. And he, and he goes, like, oh, all right, then I have to do that. Because, you know, Bidmead in the previous, you say the previous three stories has done everything he can to get rid of canine. Yeah. Well, and then if you fast forward to school reunion, I mean, clearly that was a very validating version of canine. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and done with such love as well. Um, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I remember, because I was obviously, I was on that first series, the show coming back, and I remember when Russell would just say in meetings sometimes, oh, oh we'll bring back canine next year. And I thought, <laughs> well, you, you won't though, will you, honestly? Because cause the first series seemed to be so cautious about even making reference to things that we thought might alienate the viewer, saying, no, no, can I bring back this Satan and K-9? Oh, it'll, it'll break the BBC. And, and it did seem like a crazy thing. I mean, I mean maybe less K-9 itself, because it is one of those sort of iconic things, but the fact that he wanted to be so faithful to it 
because it was done with that love, actually I think is one of the great reasons why, and, and Sarah Jane Adventures as well, which I know can't use canine as often as it would want to, wanted to have done, but you know, but that presence in, in the series, canine is, I mean no one can, I mean I, I, mean, I actually defy someone, anyone actually that has a child part of their heart, not to look at canine and just, and just adore him really, and that's one of the things which, apart from Gary Russell, <laughs> <laughs> who I know hates him, <laughs> Well, kind of teeing up on that, though, I, I want to step back just a little bit and talk about Canine and Company. Yay! Yeah! <laughs> I, I only saw that for the first time last month. Yeah. So, so why do we think that Canine and Company didn't make it to series? Because the world is a cruel and hard place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as I, as I say, it genuinely is my first full Doctor Who story. The theme song. It's there in Denmark with the giant glass of wine that she's drinking. My favorite comment on the opening credits is that if you don't know anything about Doctor Who or Sarah Jane or K9, as you're watching the opening credits, it actually kind of looks like it's a show about a woman who turns into a robot dog. A lush who turns into a robot. Sarah Jane, and then suddenly K9. Maybe, maybe that's actually what it is. It's like the sixth sense. You know? <laughs> she was the dog the whole time. Once you know, you can't see that. I think the honest reason is that actually they use canine very, very badly in canine and company. Really? Yeah, because they, they don't actually have any of that wit and character to him. But again, it's actually very season 18. The way they did Canon and Company, I, I, I think. I mean, it's, it's basically, and it's wonderful for this, but, it, but, it, but it's a Slayton show. It's not Canon and Company, it's mm -hmm. Sarah Jane Smith and a dog right. mm -hmm. who appears occasionally and might, might give her information about, um, I don't know, carrots and things. It seems like she, he, he does awful lot to talk about. He a lot about soil. About, about, about soil, <laughs> which is not very exciting. <laughs> and and I, th I think it's a tremendous shame because Canon is such a great character, but. He's kind of muted K9, K9 Mark III. Well, see, Mark III. I, think, I think that the flaw here is we call him K9 Mark III. And now my head canon <laughs> has decided that whilst K9 Mark I is with Leela mm -hmm. and it's building this new version, the TARDIS is building this new version, it builds one that doesn't work very well. And it goes, oh, I know, I never like bloody Sarah Jane Smith. I'll send this one to Sarah Jane Smith and I'll build an even better one for the end of Invasion of Time. That makes so much sense. Because the K9 Mark III is a halfway point between sort of computerised know-it-all part one and cheerful, happy, bouncy, I can make jokes that's number really two. It's actually so K9 Mark yeah. 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 See, that's that new head cannon. Problem solved. Yeah. And that's why it's terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry, Canine and Co. is not terrible. No, it isn't terrible. It's just not. It's not good, but it's not terrible. It's not what it. It's, it's not what it should have been. It's not a good pilot. No, I mean you can see why it didn't go to a series. It, it doesn't have any of the sort of joy that yeah. that should have on paper. Mad old woman lives in big house in the middle of the country with a robot dog, and next door is a grumpy old man who's got a real dog. And in the middle of it is a teenage boy who goes and gets into trouble. Should, on paper, be the greatest idea for a TV show for kids in the history of the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all the way along, they completely blow it. Yeah. And it's badly written. It's it is. terribly badly directed. 
Um, it's shockingly badly directed. It's suddenly in the middle of it, because J&T was very pro-canine. He really wanted, you know, it's Bidmead is the one that treats it badly throughout season 18. And John's like, no, I see why kids love canine. That's why I want to do this canine series. But unfortunately, John Black, uh, not John Black, he's the director who wrote it. Terence Dudley. Terence Dudley. Yeah. Suddenly gets carried away with, with arch campery of the, these mad or the, it is full of mad camp old women who have phone conversations going, I think he'll come. I don't know what's going on. And this goes on. And so the whole canine thing is completely squashed. And indeed, actually, Sarah Jane doesn't come out very well. Out of no, it. She's she not treated very well in that at all. And it just becomes this silly Christmassy New Year adventure, as you say, about a German shepherd dog being blamed for knocking over a load of things into a... Greenhouse and a stupid joke with a gnome. (laughs) Joke with a gnome is terrible. It is the best gnome joke in Doctor Who. The only gnome. Well, there's there's Mr. Silly Talents of Enchiang, that's kind of a gnome joke. (laughs) (laughs) And there's Adric, he's a gnome joke. (laughs) (laughs) So it took 30 years, but they got it right in the Sarah Jane Adventures. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. They got it. I'm not sure they did. Uh, we, we tried very hard to get K9 right. So I think where K9 is done right is School Reunion. I, I think K9 in that yes. is brilliant. He's everything he needed to be, and Sarah loves him, and everyone's upset when he commits suicide at the end and, and saves the day by blowing himself up. Sarah is absolutely destitute, and the doctor says, Oh, my Sarah Jane takes off, and there's a new canine and you go oh that's just brilliant and you you know that's gonna you know someone somewhere went let's let's do a spin-off series of that but because of the problems you have with canine you stick him in a in a vault in an attic with his ass floating around with a black hole behind it and that's all you do with him and and it's a shame that that he never got a chance yeah to to really shine in, in Sarah Jane and we had Mr. Smith instead because we needed something when we couldn't have thingy. But then you get something like Journey's End and you realise that across this two-part Dalek story where the Daleks are going to absolutely wipe out all of humanity and there's two doctors and there's Darabos and blah, canine saves the day. Yeah. Canine is the person who actually rescues everyone <laughs> and gets Earth home just yeah. for one brief scene. And yeah, it's like, he's like the hero. And Russell writes K9 really well. He knows how to punctuate story with, with cute robots. Russell loves And what's interesting yes. is that you said, and K9 is the person, and that's why it's successful, because we do. Not a person, it's a dog. Tin dog. <laughs> <laughs> Not a person, I know. Damn you, canine. <laughs> so I assume that the reason why came, it was that Australian... It was the Australian series was going on and, and Bob Baker just did not want a canine show made by the BBC and, and Ross said, well, look, please let us have canine as a presence and we'll feature him only once a year or something like that, which we sort of stretched as the years yeah. went on and I would have lots of phone calls with Bob Baker going, hi, Bob, can I send you a page of script? Why? Well, it's got canine in it. Oh, all right, just this once. And a week later, hi, Bob, can I send you two pages of script? Why? Well, it's got canine in it. Well, just this once. So we, we got more and more out of him yeah. in the end. And then we, we made the decision to write him out completely and send him off to Oxford University with Luke. Which we had lots of plans for, you know, having episodes. Well, there was a there was a beat that was going to be in one episode, which we dropped, which was Luke on Skype with Sarah James, which we did a lot with Tommy at that point because he was after doing his exam, so he was briefly written out the series. And there was a sequence. I don't know whether it was Russell or Phil Ford wrote it, 
where Sarah activates Skype and K9's there. And she's kind of going, I, I need to talk to Luke. And K9's going, ah, you got me. <laughs> and he's talking to her, she's going, yeah, can, the lovely K9, can I please talk to Luke? And K9's going, no, nope, I want to talk to you, I haven't seen you for <laughs> How is everyone? What's going on in Ealing? And Sarah's like going, I just need to talk to Luke because we're trying to save the universe. <laughs> and it would have been a very, very good comedy scene. Yeah, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. That's really, really lovely. Yeah. 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 I, think, I think that's a Phil Fordism. But uh, yeah. yeah, then we had to just let him go. Did you see much of the, has anyone actually seen much of the Australian K9 series? I've seen it all. The Science Have Fiction Channel had a marathon of it. Uh, I don't, how many episodes were there? Uh, 13. Well, yeah, they showed every one. I, I saw all, all of them. And five it's K-9. terrible, isn't it? It <laughs> really exactly. is exactly. absolutely terrible. I've never heard a single good thing about it. I right. I, I, I yeah, even John Mason said that they crossed the line by taking K9 as the sidekick and making him the protagonist, and then he said it didn't really work they very well. They also sort of didn't understand what K9... I mean, you know, the idea of, sort of, again, destroying K9 to make a better, sleeker, Flying. Less, less engaging K9 and could fly around and not have any um, enjoyable characterization. And had stupid ears. I mean, that's the great thing. This, this, this is, it's a bit like a Dalek. This is a design classic. Yes. You look at this and you go, that is a BBC 1970s robot dog, and you cannot better it. No. And when they invented the new canine and they gave him the sticky out ears and the little snub nose, and, and ah, it's just, why? You, you know, did they learn nothing from Stephen's redesign of the Daleks? You don't mess with perfection. And there's this stupid, awful canine that just flew everywhere. What was the point? It, and, and as John says, it ceased being the support character, which it had been in Doctor Who, that was there to answer the questions and have some jokes, and just became an actual protagonist. And, and it, K9 became the one that would say, the way to deal with this is to shoot it. You yeah. know, at least in Doctor Who, it was always the Doctor was the last resort saying, K9, blow that door down, or K9, stop those guards. But in the K9 series, he's the one going out, tell you what, kids, I'll just go and blow it up and then you follow me through. It does make you wonder a bit, and I don't mean, you know, to sound, I'm not down on Bob Bacon necessarily, but it does seem sometimes that the, that the creators of these wonderful, iconic things in Doctor Who aren't always the best people actually to pick up the, actually identify what's so great about yes. it. Same as Terry Nation with the Daleks, I feel, sometimes. You know, David Whittaker mm-hmm. actually really builds upon that. But I always felt with the Bob Baker, Dave Martin K9 scripts, that they kind of always took a step backwards and they made them... It was like going back to that Professor Marius, slightly irritating computer. Yes. But Robert Holmes and David Fisher in particular were just so gorgeous, actually, at that understanding how much fun humour could come out of it. And, and, and that's where it's like at its best. So, so yeah, the idea that Bob Baker doing that and Australian series would be the best person to understand that isn't actually true. No. I mean, Big look at George Lucas. <laughs> the creator doesn't always well, yeah. understand what makes something yeah. resonate with, with the audience. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so that's the Australians. <laughs> 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 Moving on. I, I want to say something about you know, you're saying about the appeal for, for children. Uh, when the new series started, my daughter was like uh, what, six. And she didn't. The first season, you know, the Are You My Mommy sort of frightened her, but that's a great episode. And uh, uh, she eventually got warmed up to it, but it seriously frightened her. And, but the next season with the school reunion, that's what she fell in love with, K-9. Yeah. And then I went back, oh, you like K-9? So I showed her every K-9 episode, and I showed her K-9 and Company, too. 
and she that's what got her into Doctor Who was yeah. K9. Yeah. It's a great it's a great entry point for kids. It really is. It's 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 the first time in the history of Doctor Who someone sat down and said let's do this for the kids. Yeah. Whoever it was, I, I presume it must have been Hinchcliffe. No, it would be Graham Williams, Graham wouldn't it? Williams, yeah. Who looked at Invisible Enemy and said, no, actually, we'll keep the dog. Yeah. That's, that was a really smart, clever move. And, and it, it's right. the oddest thing to think of, actually. This is the first we recorded after Talons of Wang Chiang, where it's taken its, as far as it can go in an adult direction, you've got, you've got things which are, you know, would, would get at a very, very high certificate rating now, on, you know, because you've got that, all that violence, drug-taking and stuff. And the next story that is in the studio is K9. And it's like a complete, we've gone as far as we can go, let's actually try and think about who the audience is. Mm. It's a very sensible decision. Yeah, it's, I've always actually felt very, very sorry for The Invisible Enemy, actually, because it's a story that we none of us seem to like very much, generally. And of course, it wasn't intended that it would be the first K9 story. It was, it was the only K9 story. And that alone, had, had he left at the end of the, in the, in the TARDIS and left K9 behind, would have surely just raised that story's stature to something far, far greater. Perhaps. <laughs> I don't. I, I'm not sure you can you can resolve all the problems with Invisible Enemy just by saying Lots if he left K9 behind, it would be better regarded. It's a pile of rubbish. Virus. <laughs> it's a terrible story. It's, it's, it's a terrible story. It the, the embarrassing is you feel sorry for K9 and going, I'm really sorry, K9. You were introduced in in just a load of rubbish. Yeah. If they'd been, you know, K9 had come down with the Rutans to the, to, in Horror Fang Rock and the Doctor found him in a Victorian uh, lighthouse, we'd all be going, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> we'd all have been going, how did he get up the stairs? <laughs> <laughs> he flies. We saw that years later. It was also a smart move that's from a, a merchandising perspective because, I mean, look right here. It was well, again, I'm, I'm sorry I you say that, but it isn't. It wasn't a smart really? move for merchandising. What merchandising was there in 1977 no, with K9? Palatoy did their, their, their Dr. Leela, Cyberman, there's no K9 in that set. It took two years before they did their ridiculously oversized <laughs> K9 this big that you can't play with anything. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't a merchandise thought because, because although... There's always this fallacy that that canine was brought was kept on because oh look they're doing robots in Star Wars and they're doing robots in in Buck Rogers and things like that complete nonsense because Doctor was working on it a long time before anyone had ever gone to the cinema and seen Star Wars, but the the, the merchandise idea was created by Star Wars. Right. Star Wars was the first thing that was properly merchandised to anyone. So no, the BBC in their usual infinite wisdom of being at least 30 years behind the rest of humanity, never <laughs> <laughs> crossed their mind to make little canine dolls. I mean, this, this is the first proper canine toy we ever had, because I say, that big thing that you put stupid little three inch discs into and it went master, that you, you couldn't play with anything because it didn't fit any of the other dolls that Palatoy did. The record, did anyone ever have one of these old Palatoy things? It was a, the canine was about this big and it came with, with three little plastic records that were only about two inches wide. And you clipped it in and you pressed canine side and it would go master. 
mistress, and that's all it would do. And then you take that record out and you'd put another one in, and it would say master and mistress, but with a slightly different intonation. And after you've done it four times, the needle that played this little plastic record was broken. That was the end of that. And you had, you had this big canine that didn't fit anything else, and these stu- stupid little multicolored discs that you ended up hanging on your Christmas tree because they made much better decorations. And that was it for years until brilliant old. Actually, no, there was a there was a crap one from Daypole, wasn't there? Yeah. That was the wrong colour. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot the Daypole though, because you forget that everything Daypole did was rubbish. <laughs> you know, oh, let's do Davros with two arms. Let's do a TARDIS console with six sides. Let's do canine green. Five sides. What? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he was green. I guess I, guess I was, th- I was, was thinking more. Sides? Yeah, it was a five, five sided TARDIS console. Yeah. It's supposed to be six. It's supposed to be six. I guess I was thinking more of, of now, so the smart decision was actually to bring back merchandising wise. Oh, yes. Ne- never underestimate Russell for knowing that one. Mm-hmm. Oh, we yep. can have a canine. We can have a rusty canine. We can have a canine who goes rusty later. <laughs> oh, and then, you know, carriage options are sitting there saying, Yay, A radio-controlled canine. canine. Yes. <laughs> we are in a car. Yes. Uh, to be fair, with the, when they brought canine back in the, re- in the reboot, because I started with the reboot and have slowly worked backwards yeah and if not for them introducing canine in that particular episode uh where he was like literally in the back of the car and they're going where have you been for decades um i wouldn't have known about canine for a very long time because i didn't encounter canine for a while until going through the episodes so i'm grateful they reintroduced canine and i still think they just as like harkening back to the doll it's like but can you fly yeah. what, one of my favorite scenes is when Mickey realizes that he's the tin dog I love that and I love how they've incorporated that yeah. Steve has it been a time dog now since the Australian series that Bob Baker would be more amenable to letting him back into dog no. properly you don't think you would ever no, I know that he wouldn't it's a shame He's still convinced that he's going to do this, what's it, Time Quake? Canine Time Quake movie. He's holding on to canine rights like, wow. like I hold on to chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> no one else is getting near it. <laughs> Big shame, because I'm quite sure that if it was possible, I can certainly see Steve Moffat just going, yep, yeah, let's throw canine oh, in. And yeah. Chibnall well, certainly would. And yes. canine would. Yes. That would be great. Just be like so happy and so grumpy. <laughs> I just wanted to go back to you were talking about why John Leeson made K9 so much and it was something he said in the panel yesterday that kind of connected to me and it's like it was because he was there he had that eye to eye they got to look him in the eye and make that personal contact you were talking about the other guy who was kind of behind the scenes. Yeah. You didn't get that same kind of emotional detachment because they didn't talk to each other regularly. When they were doing rehearsals, you know, they could look John in the eye and, and they could have that rapport. And, and so I think to them, uh, anyone who worked with K-9 while John Leeson was doing it, they humanized him more. He was human to them because he was John. And also, you can't underestimate that that, that particularly season 18, um, John Leeson, Lala Ward, and Tom Baker were just the best of friends. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the three of them, it's terrifying to be near any of them. I, I have sat many times in, in doing Gallifrey recordings with Lala and John Leeson, 
And apart from that, they will sit and correct everything in the script and have great long discussions about whether a word is Greek or Latin or should it be pronounced this way or that way. And you're just going, I'm just going to go with whatever you say. <laughs> but then they will sit down and they will have the Times crossword and they will, be ha they will be at war with one another as to who can complete it within four minutes. <laughs> they, they are genuinely, the, the IQ of both Lala Ward and John Leeson is, is skyrocketingly high, and they're brilliant, and they're so smart and intelligent. But that friendship, and Tom Baker is also a very smart and intelligent intellectual man. So the three of them, when they were doing Doctor Who together, yeah. that, that friendship they had immediately translated to, to Romana K9 and the Doctor just because they, they could telepathically almost work with one another and, and fire off each other and come up with jokes and come up with better one-liners and say, this script is complete rubbish. What should happen is Canine should come through here and Romana should do this and, and then Andrew can go and do that. And, <laughs> and, then boom, boom, boom. and of course it just comes onto screen so brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, Tom Baker has never <coughs> minced words about how he felt about the canine prop, but it was because he had that friendship with John that his interaction with canine in the show was much nicer than it could have been. I, I would be relatively confident to say that if it wasn't for John Leeson, bearing in mind that at the time when Graham Williams was producer and, and Tom was at his most maniacal, yes, um, if he didn't want canine in his show, canine would never have survived the end of going off with Lily, he would have just gone, no, I'm not, don't need it for a second season. But because of John Leeson, he would have gone, oh, yes, we'll, we'll keep K9. Yeah. Mm. Any other, yes? I always thought that the TARDIS, in addition to just manufacturing K9s as he needed, basically dedicated a room in yeah. the TARDIS full of canines, so like, he would have... <laughs> That'd be brilliant. And they'd, they'd be hanging down, wouldn't they? And you'd go down, like, like Thunderbirds, and it would come down. And it would come out. One day the TARDIS door will open and just a legion of canines. Flying out. Wave upon wave. Wouldn't that have made that journey to the centre of the TARDIS episode halfway decent if that had happened and they'd opened the door and there'd just been an army of canines and the doctor had just gone... Okay. And shut the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so hard, but it's like that Toy Story moment where Buzz Lightyear suddenly discovers he's not the only Buzz Lightyear. K9 could actually have some sort of. It'd be, oh, be gut wrenchingly sad. K9 goes into the existential crisis. Finds out that every single story he gets kind of broken, beaten up by Marshmallow. There's always a replacement K9. Oh god, that would be terrible. I think that'd be brilliant. He's got a family. He's got brothers and sisters. And then three episodes later, you do an episode called Invasion of the Canines. Everywhere. Swarming across the earth going, actually, we've played second fiddle for a long time. I've got all my brothers and sisters with me now. We're going to rule the world. Let's track the earth back. Give it back to the Daleks. I welcome our canine over. Yep. <laughs> what have I better than those little black boxy things, the blue boxy things, or whatever they? That, that, that episode with the boxes. The, the, the oh, boxes. yes. The power of yes. It would have been. The power of K9. Can you imagine if The Walking Dead wasn't about a zombie? It about of K9s everywhere. And they'd be going, quick, we've escaped, we climb up this hill, they can't follow us up. <laughs> 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 is there any TV show that would not be better? If there's I mean, another you know, K9. So in Game of Thrones now, when they were finally going to reach you know, King's Landing, and suddenly you get there and you realise that now on the Iron Throne is K9. <laughs> 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 
an epic crossover. It'd be a wonderful. He says on the throne of state occasion. Yeah. Uh, I think he'd be a nice ruler. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining oh, se- season three of Gotham. <laughs> the penguin and the Riddler and their strange bromance, and suddenly they yes. gain a pet dog. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be unstoppable. They would be. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. So work a genius, Kate. <laughs> I like where your brain is going. <laughs> <laughs> yes, proof no, no TV series cannot be improved. Suddenly talking. A Gilmore Girls is doing a revival. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Their new dog. Instead of My Little Pony, My Little Canine. Uh, Big Bang Theory should bring in canine. I was going to say. Perfect. They have Ireland with Sheldon. I know it's a silly, it's a silly point, a uh, silly comment, but a, a, a sort of half question. What is with K9 and Tom Baker's female companions? Everyone has one. Uh, uh, Sarah Jane, Leela, and Ramana. They all have the K9. Good taste. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he cares. You know, yeah. Sarah never got to meet K9, and by the time that the doctor oops, had met K9, he, he realized that, oh. that, that, you know, oh. Sarah. He <laughs> realized K9 invented the Zygon nerve gas. Because there's one with Harry, too. <laughs> That's probably... Ah. Actually, do you think that when... Because the first companion to leave after Romana can actually not just get blown up, but leave was Nissa. And I've, got, I've now got a head cannon. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, when she says, anyway, Doctor, I'm off to stay with all these uh, with people dying of leprosy. I'm going to stay here because that would be more fun than being in season 20. And I think that she thought, here comes my canine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you're a very brave person, which is the best of luck. And then he just goes, just thinking, the dog's uh, where's, where's my dog? Where's my dog? Because I'm not staying without, without the dog. Because <laughs> otherwise, I'll be well, very, very bored, and I might right. die. Right. Yeah, right. My headcanon is yeah. that later, some, some version of the Doctor does come back and give Nyssa, and probably every other companion afterwards, why are you so nice? I think it's Eccleston. I think it's Eccleston. I think Eccleston is the doctor who sits down and goes, you know what, I'm going to go back through all my companions, obviously apart from Nyssa, and I'm, I'm going to give them all a canine as a pet. Well, that Adric. And he's going, he's, going to, he's going to walk up to, to Adric and go, oh, what's the point? Actually, even funnier, you know, you've got, you get a sudden, you know, Jump cut back to that bit in Earth where Adric's heading towards the planet. The TARDIS survives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God, he says, Here's a canine for you. I'm off. <laughs> goes, no, I'm out and going. And, and, and he's, he's got that, those, uh, those, those few seconds solace. And you see, back, do you remember back in the 90s, there were all these yeah. conspiracy theories about how we'd invented the microchip, and actually we didn't have the technology to invent the microchip, and the, the leap of our science to the point mm. where we went to big computers to microchip. You suddenly think, it's because he gave one to Ian and Barbara. <laughs> back in the 60s. And they went, take that apart. Oh, what's this? Oh, let's invent the microchip. And Ian Cheston yeah. actually invented the microchip because he got it from K9. Oh, my God, the possibilities are endless. It's not the Terminator hand. 
But I do think that it's not the time shift from Star Trek that went back. He's the kind of guy who would do it, isn't he? Canine is Yeah, he's all the guilt about the time war. The best way he can get over it is give everyone presents of canine. Tardis, make me another canine and another one. This is true. This is what Bill. This is what yeah. yeah, but it wouldn't be very good, let's be honest. Because, <laughs> you know, unless it's about telebiogenesis, canine's not going to work. This is not very good, you know. She's, she's supposed to be this slightly bit of a science geek. She is not a Nissa panel, thank goodness. Although, actually, in a funny way, though, that Nissa is a replacement canine. She sort of is the canine of that TARDIS But with less personality. But again, has no personality. And again, has no humour to So she is like... Season 15 came out. Well, it's that Nissa or the writers. Yeah. Oh, no, it's Nissa. Was Nissa meant to be a companion from the beginning? No. 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 I didn't think so. She was actually like that canine decision in the Invisible Enemy. Oh, shall, okay. we, shall we keep Nissa? Because it went back. Yeah, we might as well. And she never had as much back. personality as she did in her first no, she does in Traken. She's great in Traken because in Traken she's being played as a 14, 15 year old girl That's who's true. lost her dad and lost her mum. And she's got a laser ring Yes, on. and she's being a bit, yeah, yeah, a bit ballsy. And then she gets on board the TARDIS, she meets Tegan, and it's like, oh. Yeah, but I can't she compete had just with this. Her and her entire planet destroyed. I think it's okay to go through a grieving period. We just missed the excitement because after she left, she'd gotten through that and then she got exciting again. She's great in Kinder. I love it in Kinder. He just <laughs> passes out, he wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> I think you Okay. On that note, <laughs> we're, we've come to the end of I'm our sorry. panel. Oh. Thank you all for joining us, and thank you guys for You have been listening to the 42 Cast, copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping at the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.